right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. And today is <laughs> Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day over hey. at the T-Mobile Center. We uh, also have KU, uh, the, the Big 12 Men's Basketball Media Day tomorrow at the T-Mobile Center. So uh, a lot of fun going on with those two days. Yep. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot of KU women's basketball today. We're going to be talking a lot of KU men's basketball tomorrow. We got a little bit of KU football sprinkled in there and some other uh, fun segments. Our NFL recap. Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports is going to join us coming up at uh, 340 here. We're going to be joined by Brandon Schneider, head coach for the KU women's basketball team, along with Zakiah Franklin, one of the all Big 12 first team picks coming up in the four o'clock hour at 425. We also are going to get to some Brett Yormark audio. He spoke today ahead of all the festivities with Media Day. And, and he had a lot of interest. We're not going to get to all the audio today, but we're going to get to some of it and we're going to talk about some of it because there, yeah, there are a lot of interesting things that he uh, kind of talked about today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, let, let's get into uh, some of this KU women's basketball stuff. What to you feels like some of the biggest storylines or storyline of the year for KU women's basketball? Yeah, I think I think the biggest storyline is what happens after the way last season ended, right? Uh, and and Brandon Schneider talks about that, which we'll get to the audio about. You know, the fact that I think he used the phrase "blessing in disguise" for the the WNIT run that that KU had, right? I mean, I think you go back to 2021, right? KU makes the NCAA tournament, wins a game in the NCAA tournament, and they're able to return a lot of the players from that team back for last season. And the expectation was, I mean, you and I talked about it mm-hmm. on this very show last year about. Well, now your expectation is, okay, go out and maybe you can get an even higher seed. Maybe you can host early in the tournament and and advance a little bit further, right? I think that was kind of the hope last season, and that just didn't really come to fruition, right? It didn't come to fruition. Things didn't pan their way. They missed the NCAA tournament. They go to the WNIT, and and I think that was a real flashpoint uh, uh, for this program, and especially for Brandon Snyder as a head coach specifically for his tenure at KU because you could have easily taken that one or two ways. I think from a team perspective, you could have easily been like, you know what, this sucks. We missed the NCAA tournament. Like, what is there to play for? Who cares, right? And maybe you flame out early in the WNIT, whatever, right? That's not what happened. Or just opt not to play in it, like North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Men's basketball. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Or you could have taken the route that that KU did take, which is they kind of went all in on it, right? They kind of made it their their goal instead to just, all right, well, we didn't make the NCAA tournament. Let's go out and, and, and win the WNIT. and. Talked about how it ended up being great for kind of the fan base as well because they got some extra home games. They had a, a very big crowds for a lot of those games uh, on their way to hosting throughout the uh, throughout the WNIT. I think for the championship game they had like thirteen thousand people, right? Uh, which which was fantastic, and and they ended up winning it. And so it, it was it really turned into this great positive because you know I've talked about this in the NCAA tournament. Think about this for a second. Out of three, out of basically you know three hundred teams in NCAA basketball, I don't know how many are on the are, are on the women's, but on the men's side, but however many on the women's side, you know hundreds of basketball teams, only one team gets to end their season on a W, mm-hmm. okay, and it's the national champions. 
Well, if you're in the WNIT, you get a chance to edit on a W as well, uh, which I think was was great for KU. And and I think basically what it offered this team was basically almost a mulligan, right, from of last season going back to 2021, where now you circle back to this season and say, okay, now this is the season where you absolutely must make a statement. You absolutely must, uh, you know, advance further in the Big 12 tournament, make a push for the Big 12 title potentially, go to the NCAA tournament. Maybe you are able to host and get a high seed and maybe even make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. All of that is just kind of doubled down on essentially from last season because you because you missed out on the NCAA tournament last season when you expected to make it. But I thought it was interesting, and, and somebody asked about this as well to the players, and we'll, we'll play that as well, about the pressure of that, right? Is, is there added pressure now, like even more pressure on this season because of the fact that last season you had pressure on yourselves trying to make the NCAA tournament go further and it didn't happen, but you then you win the WNIT. So have you set yourselves up for even more pressure on the team this season? And uh, I think uh, the players and, and Schneider himself kind of, uh, you know, basically said, no, there's not more pressure now. But I, I wonder if there could be, especially depending on how the season starts, right? And, and that's the thing is like their non-conference schedule, and Schneider talks about this too, a lot about this too, their non-conference schedule features a lot of very, very difficult opponents. I mean, you know, this is a team that could have four or five, six losses before they get to non before they get to conference play, and that's not a that wouldn't be. I don't think that would necessarily be an, an indictment of like, oh, they're not very good or whatever. But that's just the level of competition they're playing, right? So I'll be curious to see how they how they respond in, in some of those games against some of the elite elite teams that they're going to be playing. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think there is a lot of expectations. Obviously, I mean. Pick third in the Big 12, the highest in what? Probably the last, certainly since Snyder's gotten here and going back even beyond that, right? So I think there's definitely pressure there. And and like I said, it kind of offered the team a mulligan. And I think because of the way last season ended, that's probably the reason why you've managed to bring back Zakiah Franklin, Tyana Jackson, Holly Kirk Skeeter, right? If you if Kansas makes the NCAA tournament last season and, and maybe makes it out of the first weekend or whatever, do all those players come back? I'm not so sure that they do, but because they felt that there was some serious unfinished business, because they felt that you know last season was the season where they thought they had a chance, and then but they were able to end it successfully. That that wasn't the way how I think they wanted to go out though. They wanted to have an opportunity to go out and 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 push and make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So I would assume that's the goal this season: make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I don't think that's too lofty of a goal, especially when you're considering that you are picked third in the Big Twelve a Big 12 conference that's normally pretty good, right? So if you're picked third in the Big 12, you should be able to be a pretty high seed in the NCAA tournament, I would think, if you finish third. So I think there is definitely more pressure this season. I don't I'm, I don't know. Maybe the, the locker room doesn't feel it, but from an outside perspective, I would have to believe that there is, even if even if it's not felt specifically by the team or in the locker or by the coaching staff. Sure. Yeah, and I think uh, that all kind of goes in line with, with the top storyline for me, which is what is the ceiling? Uh, of all of this, you know, um, is this a team that's going to take a step forward and, like you said, be a team that wins a couple games in the NCAA tournament? Could you be hosting in the NCAA tournament? Could you even take a step forward where we're talking about this team as being like a, a, a Final Four contender, right? Like, how far are we willing to go here with some of this stuff? I'm, I'm really excited to see. And you're going to, I think, learn a lot about it because the non-con is going to be very challenging. Yeah. And at the same point in time, while it's challenging, it gives you opportunity. Because if you win some of these tough non-con games, if you beat a Virginia Tech who uh, made the Final Four season ago, if you beat a UConn who is a perennial powerhouse, 
all of a sudden you're yeah, going to be talking like, yeah, they are a Final Four contender, right? Yeah, I don't think we need to dive into what makes beating what would make right. UConn a big deal. Yeah, seriously. Um, beyond that, I think another interesting storyline here is will Tiana Jackson win Big Twelve Player of the Year? And I guess you could throw Zakiya Franklin in there too. I'd be I'd be comfortable going there as well. Uh, part of winning those types of awards are team success too. So that kind of goes back in line with with how good will they be? You know, are, are they going to be just a good NCAA tournament team or are they going to be a dominant team in, in the Big 12? Uh, that'll kind of all depend. But among the all Big 12 first and second team picks from the postseason last year, which, by the way, the the it's very interesting because at the end of the day, there are the same amount of players picked on the first and second team as there are the first, second, and third team for the men's. Because the first, second, and third team for the men's each has five. Okay. So you have 15 total. Sure. The women's, they only have a first and second team, but the first team has 10. Which I find weird. I don't love that personally. Yeah. But either way, you well, get to 15. Well, you think they would just make it consistent. That's what I'm saying. Uh, just make it a first, second, third team. Yeah, just, yeah. I, I don't know why it's different. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why it's different. Nonetheless, you have 15 on there. And of the players who are back, uh, Zakiya Franklin, Tiana Jackson, both at KU, Deanna Gaston and Rory Harmon at Texas, along with Shaylee Gonzalez, who was second team at Texas, Sarah Andrews at Baylor, J.J. Quinterly at West Virginia, Emily Ryan, who was second team at Iowa State, Gabby Gregory at, at Kansas State, uh, Oh, Ayoka Lee was obviously not on there last year, but she was the player of the year year before, now coming back off injury, so I guess she kind of counts this. And then of the players who are gone, there are a lot of really good players gone. Ashley Jones from Iowa State was the Big 12 player of the year. She's gone. Maddie Williams, Anna Yanusa, Taylor Robertson, all at Oklahoma, gone. Caitlin Bickle at Baylor, gone. Naomi Alnates from Oklahoma State, gone. Bree Amber Scott at Texas Tech, gone. And when you look at the returning players in the Big 12, so not just from that list, but overall, Tiana Jackson last uh, among last season stats for returning players in the conference this year, third in points per game, first in rebounds per game, first in field goal percentage, first in blocks per game. Those are the stats of a Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. For what yeah. it's worth, I, I mentioned Franklin. She would be second in points per game, the only player with more than her and Jackson, which, by the way, that's a good sign that you have second and third back, uh, is Gabby Gregory. Gregory's numbers will probably go down a little bit in the points because you'd think Aoka Lee takes on a bigger usage. Yep. But Franklin also first in field, a free throw percentage, third in field goal percentage, top 10 in assists per game, and assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, for those for people that may not remember Aoka Lee, 61 points in a game last season for Kansas, or two seasons ago in 2021 for Kansas State. And uh, I, I think, unfortunately, she tore ACL in like the mm-hmm. first game of the season last year for Kansas State. She was National Player of the Year in 2021, uh, which is just absurd. So her That's going to be a super fun matchup, by the way. Yeah, so her Lee coming back is, uh, is, very, is something to, to, to take note of. Uh, but yeah, to your point, Tyana Jackson, 109 blocks last season. I mean, that's in, that's insane. That's ridiculous. That is. Uh, so, Jeff Withy-esque. <laughs> yeah, so so Jackson, I think, is is probably the player you look to as having the best chance to, to do that. But I think the beauty of, of this Kansas team is the fact that they go three or four or five deep of really true veteran veteran players to where I get the sense that maybe it's not necessarily going to have to be night in, night out. You need Tyana Jackson to, to play A-plus games. Right. It feels like you've got enough depth of talent that you can maybe have games where it's somebody else shining versus somebody else, which I think should be really beneficial for Kansas because, you know, you're going to have games over the course of a season where your best player is is, is struggling a little bit. And the fact that KU has really quality, you know, two, three, and four level players, to your point, Sakai Franklin would have been third or second, right, uh, in returning players in, in points per game. That That's huge for Kansas. Uh, let's get to some uh, KU women's basketball preseason superlatives and awards. Uh, who would you say team MVP? All right, this is going to be 
a pretty both hot. Jackson and Franklin on the first team. You got Holly Kerskeeter. It's gonna be a pretty hot new take. players. Okay, I'm going to Minicles. Wow, seriously, you have a seriously. team of all these great returners. You're going with the true freshman now. I, very I think, talented. Yes, yeah, highest rated recruit okay. in women's and K women's basketball history. Uh, she was outstanding for them in their summer league games that they played. And to be clear, she uh, probably would have ranked even higher. I think she had like an injury either her junior or senior year of high school. Yeah, she probably so would have ended up higher. I'm not saying that she's gonna like lead the team in points per game, yeah, and lead you know all that stuff, but. I think she could be the difference between okay. this team from last season and this season being like elite level. I'll say Tiana Jackson. I mean, it's not just that she's scoring a lot of points. She's grabbing a bunch of rebounds. She's the uh, insulation to your defense. I, I think it's – don't overthink this one. I'm going Tiana Jackson. Uh, what about Offensive Player of the Year? Yeah, here I'll go with Kaya Franklin. I mean, I think she's a really, really quality player and mm-hmm. can do a lot of different things very well and is a true leader for this team and, and is – really, really solid all around and brings a very, very high floor, right? And you need high floor players. You know, I mean, I think the comparison would be uh, a guy like DeWan Harris for, for KU basketball, right? A very high floor player just from a just from a, a facilitating standpoint, from running the offense standpoint, and and being that that trusty, trusty player you can rely on. I'll go with Sky Franklin. Yeah. I agree. I'm going to go Franklin. Um, I would almost like to see her take even more threes, similar to what she said with DeWan Harris. She's up 49% from three-point range last season, but it was a bit lower attempts, under three per game. Still not a bad number, but she does it uh, all. Really good driver. Uh, she can pass a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a guy, frankly. I will say, if you say at the end of the year, because two years ago you would have said Holly Kerskeeter. If you say at the end of the year it ends up being Holly Kerskeeter, I think that's a great sign for KU and how she shot the ball over the season. Yeah. Uh, defensive player of the year, is it even worth mentioning anybody I mean, else? Tana Jackson. <laughs> I mean, I, just to bring somebody up, Skylar Gill is a transfer from North Alabama. She was the two-time A-Sun Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know if she's even going to be a starter on the team, though, so that makes it a little harder there. Uh, that could be a good bench player for uh, KU. Uh, newcomer of the year. You would obviously go Samaya Nichols, right? I would go Samaya Nichols, yeah. Okay. I think that's the guess I would go with, too. Um Seems like she might be a starter. If not, I'd probably go with Skylar Gill. Uh, glue player of the year. So glue guy of the year. Glue gal of the year. I think the glue gal of the year. I like that, by the way. Glue gal of the year. I'll go why that Mayberry here, right? I think uh, another another trusty player. That's kind of the big thing that I'm that really jumps out to me about the team this year. And, and it makes sense when you've got so many veterans that have played many many seasons together now is you've got a lot of players you, you feel like you can trust. You've got a lot of players you feel like you can rely on in certain moments. And I think Mayberry is, is one of those players certainly I would put in that category and I'll go with her as glue gal of the year. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, she's a good scorer, good with the ball in her hands. Like, she does a lot of things that you think of more than a glue player, but because you have all these other players, she could be the connecting piece for all of it to make it work. So I could see that. Uh, I I don't know the full role, but uh, Leia Conesa, Conesa, the uh, freshman point guard from Spain, I'll be interested to see if she's like the first guard off the bench. And if she can, you know, add that kind of extra connective piece. Also, Gil, again, even if she's coming off the bench, could she play 20, 25 minutes a night and be, you know, a stopper who's a connective piece? Definitely. Uh, what about uh, bench player of the year? Yeah, here, I'm, I'm kind of go, going to go with Gil here because I think you brought up a great point. Like, probably not going to be a starter, but I think definitely has a chance to be someone that can come off the bench and, and maintain the same level of play you have from your starting group. So that that's really exciting, right? Especially when you've mm-hmm. got – I mean, if you think about her as a defender – paired up with Tiana Jackson if they're on the floor at the same time, that gives you a pretty stout defensive unit probably. 
It really does. Of defensive core but between those two players. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Ryan Cobbins is interesting. Transfer from Alabama to be possibly a backup center. Uh, maybe Telegdi or Altayab if, if one of the two takes a jump forward and both being a backup center and at times if you want to play next to Tyano Jackson. I can see one of those players kind of being your uh, bench player of the year. Uh, what is your X factor for this team? This can be a player. This can be an element. It can be a thing. Mm, I think X factor is probably – I would say it's got to be experience. Okay. It's got to be the fact that this is a team that is battle-tested, has been together, and they've they've felt some of the lows, right? And sometimes in order to maybe achieve those highs, you need to go through the lows together a little bit, right? And and I think that that should help them, you know, late in the game. They have enough of experience, I, I would think, now with, with all these players coming back that they can they can draw on that and put themselves in position to, to close out games effectively, right? Because, I mean, it's one thing to be in a tight game late, it's another thing to be able to close it out, right? I mean, you look you look to like the KU men's basketball team, and that's that's one of the specialties, right? Late in the game, they're able to close games out. I want to see that from the women's side this this season. I want to see them draw on that experience together, draw on the fact that Brandon Snyder has now been the head coach of Kansas for eight nine seasons, draw on that, and draw on the experience of playing together for multiple years to to help them to help push them over the top in some of those close games. All right, I'll say Samaya Nichols back to what we we had the yeah, conversation I mean, earlier. I I, I I would say she's the X factor as well, but I I picked her. Yeah. Um, I would also say Holly Kerskeeter's shooting from three-point range. She went from shooting 40.5% as a freshman, 33% as a sophomore, 38% as a junior, 31% this past season. You want to see that number getting back up. Uh, she dealt through injuries last season. I think that probably impacted things a little bit. She's a good player. She's a good shooter. If she has that good shooting season that you're expecting, it only takes this offense to another level. The last one would just be the fan support. I mean, you, you mentioned it during the NIT run. They had a uh, great fan support, and that really helped them with some of the games, and that can help them over the course of the season if they continue to get good crowds for the games. Yeah, absolutely. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's share some audio from Brandon Schneider and those players at a Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day earlier today. We'll share that on the other side. He's Nick Springer, Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And we're joined now by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. And uh, Matt was out for uh, KU Women's Basketball Media Day today. There is, uh, or I guess Big 12. Tomorrow's Big 12 at Men's Basketball Media Day. And uh, Nick and myself will be out at the T-Mobile Center. So I guess first things first with the women's team here today, Matt. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you're kind of looking forward to covering this year with the women's team and, and expectations for what that season looks like for, for Brandon Schneider in, uh, what is it, year seven, year eight now? Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, I think it is. Just what you said, the expectations. They finally have some, and they're not afraid of them. And, and um, you know, they're excited to see if they can uh, match them or exceed them. I mean, they, you know, they haven't been shy this offseason about saying what their goals are, and their goals are to win a Big 12 championship and return to the NCAA tournament and make some noise and, and uh, you know, have one of those all-time special-type years. And, and I, I think they have the, the pieces to do it. So um, it, they're, they're as exciting as they've been in entering a season in a long time. I, I was pretty excited about their team last year, uh, to be honest. You know, they, they, they had the, the early stages or the early signs of, of what we're talking about now. Um, and while they had a good season, they, they, you know, they obviously didn't make the NCAA tournament, and they, they had just a few – moments there where it just it just didn't quite go the way it needed to go for them to, to back up what they were hoping to do. And, and so 
I think because of that, they're even hungrier than they were last year, and and they're also more talented than they were last year. I mean, they brought in some some really good pieces, uh, a couple of really good freshmen, as you guys know, and and uh, some depth and, and things like that. So I, I think they're as exciting a team as as uh, maybe KU has, and and uh, you know they they may not be preseason number one like the men are, but uh, there's every bit of a reason to. to follow Kansas women's basketball just as much as you follow them in. I mean, they, they should have a really, really good year. And, um, you know, they've done a lot of the preseason stuff and late night and now this. And uh, I think now it's just that they're, they're like, let's get to it. Let's start playing and, and, and let's start putting our money where our mouth is and, and see if we can actually do this. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of the focus at Media Day today was on the experience that this team has returning and, and the veteran players they have. But it, you kind of touched on it, but I'm just curious, how much of an impact do you think some of the newcomers can have, specifically a player like Samaya Nichols, who was so good for them this summer? I mean, could she be maybe an X factor for this team down the stretch? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, she would she would start and, and, and play, you know, 30-plus minutes and be a go-to scorer at, at a lot of places. And, and you know, she is going to start here. Um, but I, I don't know that she's going to need to get 15, 20 points a night. I think she's capable, um, but I don't think, you know, because of the veterans, because of the experience, because of the other talented players they have at a bunch of different spots, girls who can score and, 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 and you know, actually be the, 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 the piece or the player or the position that draws the attention of the opposing defense. I think because of that, Samaya's got a chance to just kind of cruise right into it, blend in, feel free, feel loose, and, and just do what she does. And what she does, she does at a very, very high level. So I, I, there's no question that, um, that, that she could be uh, as good a, as anybody in the country in terms of freshmen and, and, and as have as big of impact as, as just about any freshman in the country. Well, switching over to the, the men's side of things here, uh, Big 12 Men's Basketball Media Day is tomorrow, too. Is, is there something you're most interested to, to try to get an answer to or, or that you're interested in learning from uh, what we're going to find out, whether it's from Kansas or just kind of around the conference? Um, Man, good question. I, I, I think it'll be fun. It was fun today, and I think it'll be even more fun tomorrow uh, because they're, they're a little bit more well-known. But, to, you know, to see those, those new programs and when when you look to your left and you see BYU people walking around and you look to your right and you see Houston and you know it, it it it's weird because it doesn't feel weird it feels like yeah it's, this is the Big Twelve and they're here you know but but there's still an element to that 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 I think is just you almost do a double take from here here or there um, and, and so I think that you know Houston's got a really good program obviously and a, and a head coach that. Big 12 fans are familiar with, and I think BYU's program is, is every bit as good as as any like it. Uh, I think Mark Pope's a great coach, and, and I'm excited to see what they bring to the conference. So that, that'll be fun. Um, but, of course, most of the time and attention will be spent on Kansas, uh, at least from my perspective and, and that of a lot of people. Look, that was the thing today, man. Like, the, the women had a ton of – reporters and cameras and media around them when they had their breakout and uh it, it looked very much like the men's thing will look tomorrow it was it was you know i think they that meant a lot to them it was pretty cool so um from a kansas perspective tomorrow specifically um you know I, i'm always interested in in 
in KJ Adams. I want to I, I want to kind of pick his brain a little bit. Not not necessarily about the jump shot because that's been done a little bit. But I, I'm I'm most intrigued to see where KJ fits in terms of his role and expectations for himself as a leader I, because he's a junior and he is you know he is one of those guys that's a vet now and been here and and knows the culture and knows the standard and and this team doesn't have a ton of those you know so I, i'm eager to talk to him a little bit more about that and and just um because what we've seen right kj is a pretty quiet you know respectful you know, gentle giant of a guy, and, and you don't really picture what him being a leader looks like. Um, you assume, I assume anyway, that it's probably a lot of lead by example, but I, I wonder if there's more to it. All right, I got some uh, crossover questions. We're, we're joined by Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. These are going to be uh, some fun ones to finish, uh, maybe a little complicated. We'll see. Uh, all right, who is who's more likely to be a first-team All-American this year? Kevin McCuller, Tiana Jackson, or Devin Neal? Yeah, these are fun and complicated. You nailed it. You're you're one for one already. I, yep. I, I have to do better than you. I don't but, lie. But, uh, Kevin McCuller, Tiana Jackson, or Devin Neal, first team All-American this year. Um, I'm going to go with Kevin McCuller. Um, I think Tiana Jackson has a chance to be first-team All-Big 12 and Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And I suppose if they achieve their goal of um, winning the Big 12, and that's, you know, um, she, she would be a big part of that. And, and then if she follows up in, in those other categories, she, she certainly could be. But it's a hard one to, to, to say, and it's a hard one to say with Devin, too, because it's so tied to, to winning. And after watching them lose last week at Oklahoma State, a game they should have won, you know, you just we just don't know. Um, is Devin Neal if if they go eight and four or seven and five, is Devin Neal first team All American regardless of his numbers? Probably not. So, um, so I'm going to go with Kevin McCuller, and, and largely because I, I think that that Kevin McCuller has seen the blueprint. He knows what it looks like. He's at least from afar watched Ochai Abaji go do that, and he's watched up close and personal with a close friend of his do the same thing in Jalen Wilson. So. It's there. It's his opportunity to do that. He's got a couple of other guys on his team that are going to, you know, factor into that as well, especially Hunter Dickinson and, and Dewan Harris, um, the two preseason All Big Twelve players. But I think I think it's there for McCuller, man. I, I I wouldn't necessarily predict it, but I think it's possible. So of those three, I'm going to go with Kevin McCuller. Right, more wins for KU football the rest of the season plus. KU women's basketball in their two games in the Cayman Islands. So you get KU football, the final five games. You get KU women's basketball, those games against Virginia Tech and UConn. Or wins for KU men's basketball in the Maui Invitational, which features five of the top 11 in the AP poll. Let's go push. Okay. Let's go push. I think KU wins three in Maui or Honolulu. Um, And so that means three for KU football and the women, um, which means, yeah, yeah, I, I like push. If I had to pick, if you don't let me, you know, do the tie thing, then I, I would pick KU football and the women just because I think they can get to four. 
not necessarily because I think KU basketball is not going to win three. But, you know, we've seen. I mean, obviously last year in the Bahamas, um, KU didn't – they went 2-1 and one down there. And we've seen them go 3-0 and oh in Maui a couple of times. And, you know, different records uh, down in Orlando a couple of years back. I think 2-1 and one there. So three is not a given by any means. Um, so if that one only goes to two, then – then it's much easier, I think, for the football and the women to to take that one. But you know, I'm I'm still I'm going to go with push if you let me. I think they I think they combine for three. The men winning three for sure, and then uh, you know that could be three football wins and no wins for the women. That could be two and one. Uh, it gives me some flexibility there. So I, I'm going to go push if you'll allow it. I will allow it because if you're calling a push inherent, I mean it's. You have to hit it exact. You have to you, you get the exact number yeah. as opposed to if you're two off or something. So that's fine. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Better freshman season. I guess this one's more vague. There's not like a specific number to it. Better freshman season. El Marco Jackson or Samaya Nichols? Uh, ooh. Samaya. I I I think El Marco's really going to impress people. I think he's going to have a, a big role, and I think he's going to have a a really good year. But I think Samaya is. Um, I think she's going to get points without trying. I think she's going to have opportunities and openings all year long because of the attention that those other players um, draw. And, and, and I think she's ready. I think she's wise and mature beyond her years. I think she's excited for the opportunity and the challenge and, and ready to go. So um, I don't think it'll be a landslide or anything like that. I, I do think El Marco is going to be really good. Uh, but I will take Samaya Nichols. I think, I think uh, you know, first of all, she's going to start and, and she's going to have a, an automatic, obvious role right away. El Marco, we don't know. We don't know what his role will be um, yet. You know, could he start? Sure. Uh, would I bet on it? Probably not. Could he play 20-plus minutes a game? Sure. Could he play 10 or fewer? Yeah, he could do that, too. I mean, he's got some... He's got some competition for minutes, you know, with Nick Timberlake and, and with Johnny Furphy and, and uh, obviously the guys who will start, too, just playing big minutes. So I'm just not sure the opportunity in terms of minutes will be there for El Marco to, uh, to, uh, to surpass what Samaya can do. But I, I, I know that, that or I would be confident saying that when he's in the game, his impact will be big. Okay, how about this one? This is a four-sporter, so I'm really asking you to, to dig into the trenches on this one. I love it. More likely to win Big 12 Coach of the Year. Lance Leipold, Bill Self, Brandon Schneider, or Ray Bouchard with KU Volleyball? Whew. Wow, love that. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> uh I know you love when I reason through them with you, I do. So I'm going to do that again. <laughs> Um, it's so hard for Self to win it because the expectation's so high. So I'm going to cross him off. Um, it is. I I think that losing at Oklahoma State really hurt Lance and his chances there. Um, I mean, if 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 they're six and one going into that Oklahoma game, wow, you know that that was a real bummer for them. I mean, that was a real. They had that game won. They should have won it. Um, they just couldn't close. They couldn't finish. And uh, so, so you know, 
he could still have a big time year and whatever they do already has been special and and likely will only get more special as the year moves on and they likely get to another bowl game and, and all those things are big but I don't know that those are big 12 coach of the year type stuff so that leaves Brandon Schneider and Ray Bouchard the two women's sports represented and um yeah man it's going to be really hard for Ray to win it I think they're 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 awesome they have a great team I, I think you know they're 14th in the country right now they're they're trending toward having a chance to host NCAA tournament stuff uh, they're they're loaded with talent. They, they really have a good team. And um, having said that, they're in a conference with Texas that just mauls everybody, and it's gonna be hard to to pry that one away. So I am going to say Brandon Snyder. Schneider. I think I'm gonna say Brandon Schneider. I am. Um, I think Kansas. I think the women can win the Big Twelve, and I, I think they can. Uh, really make some noise and, and you know, be a team that, that is not wondering whether they're in the NCAA tournament on Selection Sunday, but knowing they're in and, you know, maybe even a fairly high seed. Um, so I, I, we got to see it. They got to do it. But if, if we're answering now on October 17th um, and the question is more likely, my answer right now would be Brandon Schneider. I, I, I just – I think that team's really, really in for a big year. All right. Well, we don't have enough time to uh, get into our last one, Schneider, Snyder, Snyder, the comparison of Bill Snyder, Sean Snyder, and Brandon Schneider, but that's okay. We can save that for another day. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. And uh, what do you got going on right now with R1S1Sports.com? Well, man, uh, like I say every week, and I appreciate you asking every week, there's there's fun stuff up, and, it's you know, we again, we continue to, to, to dump all kinds of stuff from all kinds of realms. We've got some cool golf stuff up right now, cross-country stuff. There's some more volleyball stuff on there, so a lot of that. But I am, uh, I, I'm working on a story with um, kind of painting Kevin McCullough's season in perspective uh, from a projection standpoint anyway, and, and I did talk to Jalen Wilson recently about it. And so uh, that will be up soon, hopefully sometime this week. Um, and I'm also working on a cool story about Jason Gilliam, who's really made his name kind of pop for the football program um, here lately. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with his story, but broke his leg in a heinous injury last spring and uh, battled to come back from that as he did. He was changing positions. I mean, he's, he's had a heck of a road. And uh, so I'm working on that as well and, and have really enjoyed talking with him and and diving into that story. So a couple big ones there, and, uh, of course, all the other stuff we do on a regular basis, too. So check it out, r1s1sports.com. Thanks for asking, Derek, and thanks for having me, always. There we go. Love it. Well, that's Matt Tate. Thank you to Matt for coming on the show. One hour down, two to go. Again, r1s1sports.com. We'll get to our NFL Week 6 recap next. Brandon Schneider and Zakiah Franklin join us after that. With Nick Springer, Derek Johnson, you're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up about 20 minutes from right now, Brandon Schneider, Zakai Franklin will join us for uh, Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day. Talking a little KU Women's Hoops on the show. Uh, we also have our KU Football Heroes and Villains segments later in the hour. And in the five o'clock hour, we'll get to some interesting Brett Yormark audio about the Big 12 and uh, some things coming in the future. 
Uh, right now, though, it is time for our NFL Week 6 recap. And first, we start with our category of biggest surprise. What was your biggest surprise from the week of Week 6? Biggest surprise to me definitely was both the Jets and the Browns winning. <laughs> I mean, the Niners and the Eagles are the last two undefeated teams in the NFL. The Browns had a backup quarterback. The Jets stink. Well, I thought. Uh, and they both won. So, pretty crazy. Zach Wilson, uh, better than Jalen Hurts? Maybe. People are asking. Uh, and obviously, the Browns are the back of quarterback. Actually, what's what's even more crazy about the Browns is P.J. Walker didn't even start for them last week. So, they have a they had another a different yeah, back of quarterback. Yeah, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Yeah, they had a different back of quarterback this week against the Niners. P.J. Now, Walker did not play well either. Yeah, now obviously, there was the McCaffrey injury that affected the Niners. But still, you would think the Niners are good enough. Well, to, the Browns don't have Deshaun Watson, Nick Chubb, and two of their starting offensive linemen. In the game. Yeah, well, so Deshaun they Watson too. sucks. Nick Chubb's, Nick Chubb's yeah. bagged, but yeah, no. So that was the biggest size surprise to me. I think if, if you had told me that one of those teams would have won, I would have been like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I could see mm. that. But for both of them to win? Yeah, because there's usually like one big upset of the week, but usually not as much with two. NFL sportsbook probably were big. My biggest surprise was uh, the Giants almost beating the Bills with Terod Taylor as the starting quarterback. The Bills were held in check. They had zero points at halftime. They ended up with 14 for the game. Even the game-winning touchdown, it was one of those throws where it was like, it was really a 50-50 play whether that was getting intercepted or caught. <laughs> and if that goes, it's intercepted, there's a lot of t- conversation about Josh Allen, how he played. I mean, Josh Allen is boom or bust personified, mm-hmm. right? I mean, either you get elite Josh Allen or you get whatever the hell that was. But yeah, man, I uh, the Giants have looked horrible. So like for them to and and not just like oh they just happened to lose within five. Like they they pr- probably should have won the game when you combine the end of the first half, which uh, I guess we could get to that in worst coaching decision. But I'll just bring it up now. I don't even know if this is a coaching decision. What um, the Giants? Oh yeah, the where, where they the ran the, the ball half. and like didn't get a play at the end of the half. Yeah, they didn't get another playoff at the end of the half. So yeah. they had a. Uh, what was it? They had second and they had first and goal at the Buffalo one with 14 seconds left in the half. And yes, they ran the ball with Saquon Barkley for no gain, and then they didn't get another playoff. If they don't do that and aren't stupid with it, and they even just get a field goal on that drive, the last drive of the game where they end up on the last play, there should have been the holding call in the Bills, but there wasn't. Guess what? It wouldn't have mattered because they would have just been kicking a field goal to win the game. Yeah. Uh, so they nearly won that game, and honestly, they they maybe should have. And the Giants have been horrible this year. Bills have been good. So that, to me, was I'd a big I'd like to surprise. take a time machine back and just prevent Tyrod Taylor from getting his lungs stabbed by the Chargers <laughs> and just see how it played out. Because it's clear that he's like a competent NFL quarterback even now, right? Is Tyrod Taylor better than Daniel Jones? Well, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's clear that he's a competent quarterback even now. And the, the, the lung thing happened, like, what, two or three years ago now? Yeah. Like, how does that – how would that affect – his career and how would that affect maybe the Chargers and every, you know who knows at that point? Would the Jets win the Super Bowl? Terod Taylor, people are asking. No, changed New York teams. Okay, anyway, no. uh, what no. is your biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment, honestly, I mean, I guess it would be the Eagles losing to the Jets. I don't know. <laughs> like there wasn't a lot. Of, there wasn't a lot of really big disappointments happening. What about the Chiefs' offense? No, I wasn't just dis- Only mean, 19 points against the league's worst defense? Nah. You don't whatever. think that was disappointing at no, all? No, because I knew that was going to happen. I told <laughs> you that was going to happen. Uh, I, I guess you could throw the Chargers in there. Right? Uh, what about the Dolphins in the first quarter? First quarter Dolphins <laughs> was a disappointment. But if you listen to NFL Monday for Actions, it was because they did it on purpose. 
Yeah. How could be? How could it be a disappointment if it, disappointment if it was on purpose? Okay, explain that to me. But I mean, you could throw the Chargers in there. I mean, the NFL Chargers going to Charger for the end of the Bills game. Yeah, NFL refs. Yeah. Here's mine. Okay, it actually goes to that game. The lack of national media coverage on the missed call that won it for the Bills. They talked about it a bit, but like. It was so different when the Chiefs, whether it was the Vikings stuff at the end of that game in the end zone or the Jets, the the Sauce Gardner call. Like, you have certain guys like Mike Florio, who's just a clown, just like basically in rampage mode when something happens with the Chiefs. But then as soon as it's a different team where the call wins them the game, it's like, well, that was a bad call, but whatever, it happens. Yeah, no one cares. It's so different. It's so different, and uh, that's my biggest disappointment. It is frustrating. I'm not mad I'm disappointed, but in the the national media. How about that? Yeah, it's it's frustrating for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who has the best ho-hum win? Best ho-hum win. Uh, I kind of want to go with the Rams, maybe. Against the Cardinals, I mean, that's a good one. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about that game. No, I didn't even watch one. It felt second. very rarely on red zone. <laughs> There's always a couple of those games. Uh, the Lions over the Bucks, that was pretty ho hum. Uh, would you, what about the Chiefs? Yeah, you could put the Chiefs in there because okay, here's the thing with the Chiefs. Going back to the disappointment part, yes, you could argue it was disappointing for them only to score 19 points against the league's it worst defense. I, but that's what I expected. Well, okay, the the thing is for me, one, it's Thursday, and I think we saw this week. This week was a perfect example. Sometimes weird things happen in the NFL, and it really is all about did you just win your games? The 49ers lost to the Browns. Yeah. Uh, the the Jets beating the Eagles. And, and albeit the Jets and the Browns have a lot more of a uh, heartbeat than the Broncos do. But the Giants don't have much, you know, the Giants aren't that much worse or that much better than the Broncos. I would agree. And they almost beat the Bills, right? Yeah. So at least the Chiefs didn't have that happen. So from a certain standpoint, you could argue the Chiefs for best ho hum win. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was very ho hum. I was like, Wow, this is fun. Nineteen to eight, really exciting. <laughs> yeah, go Chiefs. You ever seen that? People people post that meme a lot where it's like with the Chiefs, where it's like, yeah, I boy, I'm excited about this on Friday though. You complained about it? I, go ahead. The, I'm you excited it, yeah. to watch my favorite team play, and then it's like, oh, this yes. sucks, and then oh, well, they won. Good job. Yeah, so I complained about this on Friday because it's almost starting it's to annoy overused. me how much people are posting that and it's then overused. being like, oh, it's like, dude. You know how much 10 years ago we would have taken this? I don't care if they win every game by a point. I don't think I don't think a lot of people post him seriously. seriously. Yeah. That's my assumption. Uh, I, I hope not. I hope uh, you're not actually because, walking away from the game being like, that sucked. Like, enjoy it. Enjoy the win. Yeah, because I, in, in 10, 15 think, years when Patrick Holmes is gone, who knows? You could be where the Patriots are when Tom Brady left, right? Yeah, I don't think a lot of people post it seriously. I will say, though, it is getting to the point where it's a little overused. But, I mean, listen. I tell you every week, the Chiefs have a script that they follow. That's just how they are. That's mm-hmm. How they play. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna screw around. Enjoy the wins. Teams that are much worse, and they'll still win. And who cares? Enjoy the wins. Uh, my best home win though is the Lions, twenty to six on the road against the Bucks. Bucks have been yeah. pretty good. They out yarded them three eighty to two fifty one. Lions are really good. Five and one. They're three yeah. and zero on the road so far this year. That's uh, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, what is your week six MVP on the offensive and defensive side well, of the football? To your point on the Lions, do we need to have a conversation about Travis? About uh, not Travis Goff, Jared Goff. <laughs> do we need to have a conversation? Where's your uh, Goff power rankings, by the way? Uh, Travis Goff one for mm-hmm. sure, but Jared Goff quickly rising. Yeah. How many other Goffs are there? You know any other Goffs? Um, besides Jared Goff and Travis Goff. If you can't pronounce your L's, saying the word golf. Golf. Kind of sounds like golf. Uh, yeah, anyways, Jared Goff. 353 yards and two touchdowns against uh, against the Bucks. But do we need to go beyond this? Do we need to have a conversation about 
Jared Goff, MVP. That just sounds weird, doesn't it? Do we need to have the Do we have the conversation? He's up to the best um, start of his career. Hmm. The best start of his career. Worth, he was really good last 1,600 week, last yards, year. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. As of right now, he's got his highest quarterback rating of his career. Yeah, he's fourth in the NFL in QBR. Six games in this season. But but uh, this is, I mean, statistically, he's off to the best start of his, of his career. I guess he should be in the conversation, yes. Do we need to start a dialogue? I'm open Who, to hello, it. Hello, dialogue people. I'd like to start, a, I'd like to start one. Yeah, I, I'm probably not going to ever get there this season that it'll like happen, but should he be discussed as a candidate? Sure. I'm yeah, I don't think that. it'll happen either. But Okay. My, but will it, is it not going to happen just because he plays for the Lions? Maybe, but it's also like like he's good and the but stats are good, you, but you, they're not going to be – I don't think he's great. Do you not agree that the Lions, is have, great. the Lions have an aura about them where you're just not going to pick them? It's inherently, you're like, oh, the Lions would never have an MVP. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Okay, maybe. Am I wrong? I, I, I don't know. You might be. You might be onto something. Okay, thank you. Uh, my offensive MVP. I'm gonna go Tyreek Hill, and, and just because I, I want to bring him out, he had six catches for 163 and a touchdown. Yeah. It was against the Panthers. They probably win regardless. So yeah. I don't know. But dude, Tyreek Hill right now has 42 catches for 814 yards and six touchdowns. He is basically on pace for what? what? It's been six games. yards. It's like twenty two hundred or twenty three hundred receiving yards. More? Wait, a lot more? Yes, like twenty two okay, or twenty three hundred yards. Games. Yeah, yeah. I can't do math. That would. Yeah. What? What math did you do? Seventeen hundred. I thought he was. I thought. I don't know. I was thinking like eight games. What? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You you, th- you, you gave me eight hundred forty two, and that made me think eight. So like, oh, they played eight games. Okay. I don't know, man. Um. I'm all over He's well on pace to break the receiving record in a single season. So, Tyreek Hill, it's my offensive player of the week. Uh, what about your defensive player of the week? Okay, I just wanted to pick somebody from the Jets, but I didn't know who. So, just can I just say the Jets? Jets defense? The whole Jets defense? Three interceptions. Was it Quinton Williams Hurst. who had the... Uh, Quinton Williams had an interception? Yeah. He also had a fumble recovery. I think the brothers, it was Quincy and Quinton Williams had... Yeah, Quincy Williams had 12 tackles. So, maybe just say the uh, brothers Williams. But are they are they actually brothers? I could have sworn they are. I don't feel like that's true. I think you just made that up. No, it's it's yeah, Quincy Williams is Quinn Williams? Williams' big brother. Really? Yeah. Oh. Isn't that cool? On the same that team is, and that everything. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I, the reason I listen, I I didn't mean to question you so aggressively, but the Williams is a very common last name. Sure. You can easily have multiple Williams on your team. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I I like heard it on a highlight and uh huh. Yeah. Cool stuff, man. Okay, my uh, my defensive MVP. Hmm. I guess I kind of want to go with Daniel Hunter. He had seven tackles, two sacks. They held the Bears to thirteen, but also the Bears are bad. Yeah. Plus, Jalen Fields, or Justin Fields got hurt. Yeah. So it's like that. How much does that matter? Um. I guess we could go with. Now you know what? Screw it. I, I'm just going with I'm going with Daniel Hunter. Two sacks, seven tackles. Vikings needed to win badly. They got it. They so did. good for them. That's well, or event. maybe they needed a loss badly to get a better pick to in trade the draft. Kirk Cousins oh. to actually fully tank. All right. Uh, worst coaching decision of the week. I'll bring up a couple. You can let me know which one you want to pick. the The Giants won. The decision the to Giants run on won. first and goal. Yeah. Uh, Zach Taylor ended up not coming back to bite him, but uh, the Seahawks had fourth and goal from the Cincinnati like eight. There was 40 seconds left. Seahawks, basically, if they didn't get the touchdown, game was over. If they did get the touchdown, 
then the Bengals would have still had, because there was 40 seconds left, some time to go back and try to kick a game-winning or a game-tying field goal. Yeah. But that was, I believe, their last time out. Or this one last night in Monday Night Football where the Cowboys had, I think, two timeouts left at the end of the half. They completed a, a short pass, just dumped down from Dak Prescott to like the 15-yard line with eight seconds left. And the clock operator inadvertently stopped the clock after the play ended because they just assumed that the Cowboys were going to take a timeout. But then Mike McCarthy went out. McCarthy went out of his way to convince the refs to wind the clock down to three seconds. So they could kick a field goal mm. instead of even taking a shot at the end zone, still with a timeout. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I mean, that's just old school football right mm -hmm. there. That's just old school. Like you don't even consider like that. That is so funny to me. Where it's like some coaches, it's like. A touchdown should be the goal on every drive, mm -hmm. and yet it's not for like a bunch of old coaches. They're like, let's go get a field goal. It's like, why would you not even try to get a touchdown? Like, isn't that the goal of every drive? Nah. Doesn't make any sense. I think I would probably still choose the Giants one, though, because the other two, at least they still won the game. Like, it the didn't Giants cost them the poor. game. Yeah. The Giants one literally cost you the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it did. Yes. But, yeah, that's pretty bad. All right. Uh, what is your I think they're good? I guess you could have done Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff's pretty good. Yeah. And I think the Lions are mm. actually pretty good now. You think they're very good? I think they're good. Do you think they're very good? Mm, I think they're very good, yeah. Okay. Well, they're definitely going to win the North, right? I would think so. And they're probably going to have 11 or 12 wins. Probably even more at this point. I know, because they're already 5-1. and one. I think they're pretty good. And I also think the Jags might Ooh. be kind of good, but I don't know for sure, but I'll put them in there also. Okay, that'd be a big win for the Chiefs. Um, I think they're good as the Texans. I'm in. I'm You're in on, on CJ Stroud. I'm in on the defense. I'm in on, I don't know, Nico Collins, Damian Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if they'll be better than the Jags in that division, but I can see them being a wild card. Yeah, and, well, I, no. Mm. Yeah. Wrong. So wrong. So wrong. There's no chance. Three and three. The AFC South have two teams in the playoffs. Zero. <laughs> Why? Zero. I bet the my, Patriots I would, are way worse than we thought. I would bet my life on it. There's no. You bet your life on There's it. No chance. Zero chance. Zero chance. Yes. I disagree. Negative chance. Vehemently that like is, is are they likely to make this? Probably not. They have zero like, chance. Zero. There's no chance. There's not a shot at all. Unless their only chance is if the Chargers are just really bad. Which because the AFC maybe? North is going to get two, maybe three teams in. Okay, the AFC East is guaranteed the Dolphins and the Bills, mm -hmm. and the AFC West is guaranteed Chiefs and probably Not Chargers. Necessarily. What if the Chargers lose this week to the Chiefs? They're two and four. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you think the Chargers are going to end up being bad, I'm just saying I'm the path open, is there for the Texans. I'm, I'm, I'm open to the possibility. Three and three. You know, you're playing good football over these last few weeks, and uh, they also have an easier schedule. Like this is their upcoming games. At Panthers versus Bucks at Bengals. Ooh, that one could determine who makes the playoffs. Uh, then Wait, they, have, they play the they play the Panthers and their Bucks the next two games. Yeah, they could be five and three. I know. And then at Bengals, like, and then Cardinals easily. at home. They could be six and four. And then you have Jaguars. And then you have the Broncos. Oh and then you're at the Jets at they're the Titans. Be, they're gonna be nine and five. Browns at home. Titans and at Colts. They could win ten games. What? I told well, you. You didn't tell me they got to play the. That's what happens when you're a bad the blind. Team, You always get to play the bad teams that next year. It's Jeez. great. Uh, who? What is your? I think they suck. Well, to that notion, the Chargers might actually suck. <laughs> and this is not. I think they suck. I know they suck. The Titans suck. I mean, 
I am quadrupling down on my Titans take. They they stink. They are bad. They are not a good team. I don't care that they play close games. They're bad. They're not good. Which to that point, I, I have a lot of respect for Mike Vrabel because I think he's a good coach coaching mm-hmm. a bad team, and they're not. And they might end up winning still six or seven games. But those boys are bad. They stink. I'm gonna go with the Cardinals, but in a feisty way. I tried to hang on from this because they were playing teams close and they beat the Cowboys. They're still bad, though. <laughs> They're just feisty bad, but it's still bad either again, way. They, again, they get sneaky 5-12. and 12. Yeah. Sneaky. I don't even know if they're going to get 5, to be honest. Sneaky 5-12. Sneaky 4-13. and 13. <laughs> uh, What is your top three, bottom three? Top three is Chiefs, Chiefs, and Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Bottom three is Broncos, I guess Giants, and Panthers. So... I don't know well, if you realize this. I might put the Bears, actually. Hang on. Okay. I'll do Broncos, Bears, Panthers. I don't know if you've realized this, but there has been a curse of who I have put number one. What do you mean? Three weeks ago, the number one team I put was the Dolphins. They lose to the Bills. Okay. Two weeks ago, my number one team was uh, the Bills. They lose to the Jags. Okay. Last week, my number one team was the 49ers. They lose to the Browns. Mm. So for that notion, I, I cannot put them number one. I can't. I have to put somebody else. So uh, let's go with the Lions. The Lions beat the Chiefs head-to-head. Okay. That's and they're both 5-1. and one. So go yeah, Lions 1, uh, Chiefs 2, 49ers with a healthy McCaffrey 3 without Eagles. Even I'll stick five with my Chiefs, Chiefs, and Chiefs. By the way, Eagles-Dolphins. That'll be a really good game this weekend. And then uh, bottom three. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, bottom three. Panthers are obviously the worst. Second worst? Bears. Broncos. <sighs> I kind of want to call the Patriots. I kind of want to put the Patriots in here. I forgot the Patriots. Those boys stink. I'm going to say, but the Bears, now that Justin Fields is hurt, it's going to get worse. So I'll put the Bears. Bears at 30. Patriots. No, I'll put the... Yeah, Bears at 30, Patriots 31, Panthers 32. the Bears 32. are better than the Patriots? Yeah. Wow. They beat them last year on Monday Night Football. I know it's a year ago. I but. don't want to watch a Monday Night Football with Bears-Patriots. <laughs> All right. I will actively turn my TV off. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, Brandon Schneider, head coach for the KU women's basketball team. Zakai Franklin, All-Big 12 preseason first-team selection. Join us next for Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day for KU women's basketball. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and thanks for joining us on today's edition of the show. We continue on as it is KU uh, Women's Basketball out at Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Days at the T-Mobile Center. We're going to be live from there tomorrow from 3 to 6 o'clock um, as we'll be carrying a bunch of audio and interviews and all sorts of stuff with you on a tomorrow's edition of RCST from the T-Mobile Center. Had a chance to uh, have some phone calls with Brandon Schneider and Zakiah Franklin. We were originally planning to be out there today as well for Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day, but had some uh, work stuff come up and uh, we're unfortunately unable to make it out there. But we'll be there tomorrow, but thank you to KU and Brandon and Zakiah Franklin for uh, making some phone calls work. Here's our conversation with KU Women's Basketball head coach, Brandon Schneider. Coach, you guys are picked third in the Big 12 media preseason poll. I, I guess, uh, what's the, the plus minus of that uh, for you guys in terms of, well, high expectations means you've gotten the program to a pretty good spot, but also uh, I'm sure expectations uh, with that comes a bit of pressure. Yeah, I don't really see any minus. Um, I see it more as, you know, validation. Um, the program has come a long way and that uh, the other coaches in the league feel like we have the pieces necessary um, to compete for a Big 12 championship. Well, uh, there, there's some 
newcomers, whether it's on the team or the coaching staff, let, let's start with that coaching staff. We, we've gotten a chance to talk to some of the new coaches or whether it's been, you know, Brock McGinnis uh, moving up the way or, or some of the, the people coming over to the program. How is the staff integrated with, with some changes to the coaching staff? Does it feel like everybody is is uh, in their role and, and knows what everybody's doing and, and things are kind of moving seamlessly here as we get to the start of the season? You know, we've we've had uh, three uh, folks on our staff in the last four years get Division One head coaching jobs. Um, I, I, again, I think that speaks to the growth of our program. I couldn't be happier uh, with our staff and, um, you know, how connected we are. Uh, I really feel like we have great balance. Uh, I know with, with, with Patrick Schrader and, and, uh, as well that, um, you know, they're, they're excited, uh, about the opportunity to be part of Kansas basketball. Some transfers coming into the program. Skyler Gill from North Alabama, Ryan Cobbins from Alabama. I mean, you have some incoming freshmen who are interesting. Obviously, Samaya Nichols from the local area, five-star recruit. Uh, a lot of newcomers to the team in addition to a lot of the experience you have. What have you liked so far about some of the new faces that have uh, joined the program this year? Uh, I think they've done a really good job um, <clears throat> of picking up things very quickly. Um, you know, whether they are a a grad transfer or, or a freshman. Um, their attention to detail is something that I'm very impressed with, and I think a lot of that can be attributed to the leadership of our veterans. What is kind of the expected role for uh, Samaya this season? Uh, versatility. Uh, we're going to play her all over the place. Um, I think if, if we played a game tomorrow, she would be in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I think uh, she's a very, very high IQ player, and um, I think we're going to be able to move around a great deal. The three players you brought with you today to Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Days are all players that have uh, really helped over the last couple of seasons really bring this thing to uh, where these high expectations are this year. And uh, I guess first with Tiana Jackson, She's obviously already been playing at kind of an elite level. So how does she take even another step forward this season? Well, I think she has to continue to defend and rebound, um, you know, at the level that we're all accustomed to. Uh, and then, you know, with her offensive game, I thought she did a terrific job uh, a season ago of, of adding uh, to, to her offensive skill set in the low post season we spent a lot of time uh getting more her more comfortable away from the basket holly kerskeeter comes back and in last season she had to deal with some injury stuff uh the shooting numbers probably not as high of indicative of how good of a shooter as she was what are your expectations for holly and, and what is she trying to do this year you know i think uh, holly needs to just have fun and really enjoy playing basketball uh, I think that's what she her her best. Um, I think uh, the one thing she's really provided um, this year so far is just her leadership. She's so much more vocal. Uh, there's a lot of young guys that she knows that uh, she's responsible for helping us raise up. And the uh, the last player you brought with you today is Zakaya Franklin, who. Uh, awesome season a year ago, all Big 12 first team. She's all Big 12 first team in the preseason. 
what are some of the things that she does best that uh, she's looking to, to bring to the table and, and add to this season? You know, Zakat's always been kind of our closer. Uh, you know, if we needed a couple of free throws to ice a game or we need a basket to take the lead late, um, she's the person that we go to and count on. Um, and and not be the same this year. I think uh, leadership, again, she's been so much more vocal with this young group uh, in trying to uh, get them as caught up and up to speed as possible. Well, it's a very tough schedule for you guys, starting with the non-con. Obviously, a lot of people are circling the uh, Cayman Islands trip. Uh, what can you say about your schedule and, and what you guys wanted to accomplish with that this year when, when you were putting it together? Yeah, it's incredibly hard. Um, but that's what we wanted. I think it's what our fifth-year seniors wanted. Um, let's find out early you know, where we are um, and identify the things that we need to improve on so that we can be as competitive as possible come Big 12 play. He is Brandon Schneider, head coach for the KU women's basketball team. Uh, coach, I appreciate taking some time and uh, have fun with the rest of the festivities at Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day. You bet. Thank you. All right, that was our conversation with KU Women's Basketball Head Coach Brandon Schneider for the KU Women's Basketball Team. We also had a chance to hear from Zakai Franklin, who went out there along with Holly Kerskeeter and Tiana Jackson. Franklin, a All-Big 12 first-team performer last year, All-Big 12 preseason first-team performer coming into this year. Here's our conversation with Zakai Franklin. Zakai, I guess first things first, Big 12 Media Day today from the women's end of things. How have things gone so far? How have you liked uh, being part of the show? Uh, things have been going great so far. Honestly, I would, I would honestly say that it's been probably the best uh, Big 12 Media Day that I've been a part of. Uh, everything has been great. Uh, I've jo- enjoyed my time and, you know, every station that we've been to. So things have been great so far. And uh, obviously you have a couple other players with you who you've been through the ringer with uh, a bit with Tiana Jackson, Holly Kerskeeter, that you guys have been playing together for a while now, uh, headed into another year. How, how important is that comfortability with having other players like that that you've played so many games with and, and been in key moments with uh, for once you get into the season this year? Oh, it's been great because, you know, I've been in battle with them in a ton of games, so it, it, it's been great, like I said, uh, just to have that uh, veteran-led leadership uh, in them and as well as, like, just to carry over this team and just try to, like, lead this team to, you know, even higher heights. So, Well, you were All-Big 12 first team this past season, preseason All-Big 12 first team this year too. How do you go about the offseason when you have such a good year like that? Is it almost more difficult in an offseason coming off a year like that where you're trying to figure out what exactly to work on and, and what to improve? Or I guess what are some of the things that um, you're looking to enhance in your game coming into this year? Uh, I would say – it, it kind of is a little more difficult, but to make it not difficult is to just be safe and just work on everything because, honestly, there's always room for improvement. So you kind of don't want to lose something into the upcoming season. So I just – my focus is honestly just working on everything and incorporating it so that whenever we do start playing, it's like it just feels natural and it just feels – just comes to you easily, just second nature. The trip to Europe that you guys went on, how much fun was that in terms of some of the stuff you guys got to do and explore off the court, and how beneficial do you think the on-the-court stuff is going to be for this season? Uh, it was a great trip to Europe. Uh, we got to honestly just uh, experience great team chemistry, uh, let our hair down a little bit, and uh, like kind of just let our hair down, like I said, and just have fun. 
And honestly, I think that is going to translate on the court at, like you'll see this year and just how natural it is that we just gel together. And I think it'll show in our play as well. Did you have a favorite thing you guys did off the court or maybe a favorite thing that you got to eat over there? Uh, favorite thing that we did off the court was probably when we, I think it was like a second to last day when we went to the beach when we were uh, in Greece and just the sights and just this, even being in the water was great. And we got to do a lot of like water ski activities. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. We're talking with Zakai Franklin here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, as you head into this year, obviously some newcomers in addition to some of the players you guys bring back. Who who are some players that uh, we should be on the lookout for that, that could have a big role on this year's team that uh, are new faces to the squad this year? Uh, I would have to say we got a lot of newcomers that are probably going to be a great addition to our scene, team. Uh, I would say Samaya Nichols. Uh, we have Laya, Ryan Cobbins. Uh, honestly, I would just go with all of them because they've been great additions to our team. And honestly, I think they're going to gel perfectly with our style of play and just how we want to play this year. You guys are going to the Cayman Islands, and, and as part of that trip, going to be taking on Connecticut and Virginia Tech in a little over a month from right now. When you see the non-conference schedule and you see some of the tough opponents you're going to be playing, obviously then Big 12 is, is always tough on its own. Uh, what kind of challenge were, were you guys looking to have in the off season to, to try to push yourself this year? Uh, it's honestly just never getting comfortable because we know what non-conference schedule that we'll have this year. And it's kind of been a player-led initiative because we went to Brandon and we told him that we would need to do that in order to compete for a, a Big 12 championship and just to be able to compete deep in the postseason. So honestly, it's just honestly just, not getting too comfortable and just always room for improvement because we know the non-conference schedule that we'll have and it's it's going to prepare us for obviously Big 12 season and it'll test us early on. This is your last year at KU. Uh, what do you plan on doing uh, once you're done? Going to the WNBA? What, what are some things you want to do with your career after uh, KU? Uh, after KU's over, I would definitely love to play in the league and uh, a little bit overseas and also, I would just love to be around basketball still, whether that's coaching or just being behind the scenes, just doing player development type thing. So those are some of my goals. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate the time, Zakaya, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day with Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day. Okay, thank you. That was Zakaya Franklin and Brandon Schneider joining us from the T-Mobile Center for Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day with KU Women's Basketball down there. Picked third in the Big 12. They have a tough non-con schedule. Should help them get prepared for conference play and uh, certainly high expectations for the KU Women's team, which uh, will be very fun to monitor and track coming into this season. I right, with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. We'll get to Brett Yormark's audio coming up in the top of the 5 o'clock hour and uh, react to some of the stuff that he said later in the show out earlier at Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Days. We'll be out at the T-Mobile Center tomorrow for Big 12 Men's Basketball Media Days from 3 to 6 o'clock. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Uh, Normally we do this in the 5 o'clock hour on Tuesdays, but because of that Yormark audio, we're going to do it now. Our Heroes and Villains segment. We give a hero for the KU offense, defense, special teams, and then we pick a villain. It could be... Anything. I think Man. last week it was – what was it last week? Last week, uh, I don't think we had one. <laughs> I think we skipped one for the offense. It's tough to pick. No, we, we <laughs> definitely picked something. 
I don't, I don't remember, to be honest. I don't know. Anyway, uh, our heroes for this week. Let's start with the offensive side of the football. Who is our hero for the KU offense? Mm, I think the hero's got to be either Mason Fairchild or Trevor Wilson, right? I mean, Fairchild, as you outlined yesterday, has been on a roll lately after having a really slow start to the year that I don't want to say had people concerned, but I think there was some a little bit of concern about uh, his slow start after kind of some of the, the hype that he received in the preseason and some of the talk of, you know, NFL future. Uh, and he was had a great game against Oklahoma State, was open for a couple touchdowns, and uh, Jason Mean found him. So I, I'm going to go with Mason Fairchild. Mm. Is he playing like an unfair child in this one? Ha, ha, ha. No. Did you know Trevor Wilson only go, played 19 snaps on offense? Go back to the drawing board with that one, by the way. <laughs> okay, wait. Seriously. Did you know Trevor what? Wilson only played 19 snaps on offense? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. But that's such a low snap count for as big of an impact as he had. No, Isn't I know. Isn't that crazy? I know. No, I mean, it's the same way with, like, dude, you look at the Chiefs. Like, Kadarius Tony will play, like, 14 snaps a lot of games. And he just gets the ball every time he's on the field. And so it's the same way, like, it's just really a, a really efficient player. By the way, Mason Fairchild, not only did he have the big receiving game, he was KU's highest-graded run blocker on Pro Football Focus of an 83. Yeah. Second was Jared Casey at a 71, uh, for what it's worth. My hero, I kind of want I don't know, it, that snap count is so low for Trevor Wilson. Um, You're not going to pick him? No, I'm going to go with Quentin Skinner. Okay. Although this okay. is, I don't know. Quinn Skinner only played 21 snaps. <laughs> Why would I not just take Trevor Wilson? That's only two more. I know. Um, he had five more yards. He had one more touchdown. He had two less catches. Sure. He also, again, I, I thought that Trevor Wilson could have done a little bit more to try to break up the interception. So I'm going to go Quinn Skinner. Okay. What are you going to do about that? I'm not going to stop you. I will say, honorable hey, mention. Live, live your truth. Okay. Uh, Michael Ford had an 82 pass block grade that led KU. Had about a 64 run block grade, which was second among the offensive linemen. Fifth overall as a team. That's kind of about below average number for Michael Ford. But low key, I was looking at this earlier. Michael Ford right now is the second highest graded guard in all of the Big 12 right now. So I oh, we've talked a lot about Dominic Pooney. Yeah. Obviously, Mike Nowitzki gets a lot of love, deservedly so. Well, Reed Adams gets love. He, he does. Uh, Kobe Bain's gotten love. Yeah, Michael Ford. Give Michael Ford some love. Yeah. He's been uh, really good so far this season. No kidding. Uh, who is your defensive hero for KU football? Defensive hero there is... There goes my hero. Gosh, I don't know, man. It Watch wasn't him a, as he it wasn't a, tackles. It wasn't a great game for the defense, obviously. Uh, JB Brown led the team in tackles, I believe. So I'll just yes. go with JB Brown, I guess. <laughs> just going with the tackle. It was JB Brown and Austin Booker tied with nine. Okay. I thought they had Booker at eight. They might have bumped that up to nine. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a great game. You didn't tackle well. You dropped a couple interceptions. You didn't really get any pressure on Bowman. Uh, I'll just go with JB Brown. This has Jeremy Robinson as having four pressures, which I, I don't. I remember a couple of them here, there, but uh, yeah. Okay. Booker also had two pressures in addition to the tackles, so you know that that's interesting to bring up. Mm, I'm almost tempted to go with Kobe Bryant as a process play. Kobe Bryant, I mean, in in itself, did have a good game. He dropped the pick six. He did. That's that's what I'm saying though about it being a process play. It's a process play because like if you continue to make plays on the football like that, so this this would be like if Hawkeye actually missed. And you, and you said he's still great. <laughs> yeah, because Hawkeye, the other nine out of ten arrows, it's going to find the guy. The next nine times that happens no, to Kobe Bryant, that's a pick ten six. Out of ten. 
No, no, we're the human. Human things happen. But okay, even even with that. First of all, I don't even is Hawkeye human? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Even with that, Kobe I Bryant. I don't know my I don't know my superhero backstories. Kobe Bryant has, was targeted three times. He gave up eight yards, Nick. And of the eight, mm. this is what's funny. Of the eight yards he gave up, eleven were after catch. Which means so wait what? So which he was, means that he ran like, like a bubble screen and yes, so like okay. the, he couldn't prevent the reception. Basically, it was a bubble screen. Okay. So basically, that just means he had a bad tackling game. <laughs> he had eleven yards tackle, after the catch. He had one missed tackle. If he if it was if he gave up eleven yards after the catch, how how could he be? How could he have a good tackling game? Well, okay, it's not necessarily like if the guy catches a bubble screen three yards behind the line of scrimmage and runs. For a three-yard gain, that's a net total of six yards after the catch. You said he got eight yards, so he had 11 eight yards. total. Yes, 11 after the catch, eight total. Yes. So he probably gave up one catch for... 11 yards. Okay, he gave up his long catch he gave up was four yards. So he gave up two four-yard catches. So one of them could have been on a bubble screen. Okay. One of them could have been on a quick out route. That is a great game. Over the course of the game, you have eight receiving yards. Sure, fine, yeah. Kobe Bryant gets it here. Go for it. Uh, who's your special teams hero? Oh boy! No, I think there's uh, an obvious one here. The wind. The wind. <laughs> what? Who, 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 what's the obvious one? Okay, so shout out to Scott Jason who informed me of this. Remember yesterday during hit of the week, I was like, somebody oh, on the, the special the teams big hit? went down. It was it was Tory Lachlan. Okay. And we had Tory Lachlan as he a candidate a on another one. Yeah, it was a block on a kick return. Yeah. Okay. Where he just knocked a guy over. Okay. I think Tory Lachlan is the uh, special teams hero here. Lock. Yes. For special teams per yes. week. No, you See, can't. That's way you better can't, than No, time. not even close. Way better. Not even close. Dude, it's, it's, dude are you serious? It's yes. 10,000 times better. No way. <laughs> uh, Tory Lachlan had those, the big block, the big hit. That's a good one, yeah. I, I don't know what else. Uh, he also had a kick return, I guess, for 12 yards. Now, it wasn't a great Maybe kick Maybe the hero is that, mercifully, I didn't have to watch KU try to kick more field goals. I guess. I mean, it, it's hard. You're not going to pick Seth Keller or Owen Pieper-Gertis. Uh, Damon Greaves had two punts for 76 yards with a long of 39. So that wasn't. Eh. It feels like to me, by the way. It was windy, though. It was. The wind was swirling. It feels like to me, Graves is more of a specialist as not like kicking it far, but kicking it high that it can't be returned. It feels like there's uh, not a lot of returns. No, he punts. had some. He had some long. He had some long punts uh, in their la- not the UCF game, the game before that. He had some long punts. Okay. I think. I'm just saying he's averaging 41.8 yards per punt. That dude. That's like three yards better than last year. It's like two. It's not that great, but I also think the numbers of net yards, the net yards per punt, is probably actually down even further because I do think he gets good hang time on it. But yeah, I'm going with uh, Tory Lachlan. Didn't figure to uh, break down the punter there. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the wind. Who is the uh, villains? Uh, like you want? You want this is an easy one to pick the refs. Yeah. Okay. Refs are villains. Refs are villains. Ollie Gordon, villain. Gordon, villain. Uh, is Alan uh, Bowman a villain because? To go from being someone who kind of stunk, sucked, yeah, to all of a sudden like kind of going off, uh, yeah, special, uh, Brandon point, Presley, point, point after attempts, villains, for sure, yeah. Is the wind also a villain? Uh, no, I don't think the wind was a villain per se. I would honestly go with uh, point after attempts as my number one villain, though. Okay, what about Colin Oliver? Seven tackles, two and a half sacks, two pass deflections. I think he was the one who had the uh, strip sack on the fourth that, down yeah. and five well, that the, they should the have been offside. The first down, you mean? The first down? Yeah, that I think he was the one offside, but they didn't call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good villains to choose from. What about 
the guy who I guess you told me this. I didn't even realize this, but huh? the OSU fans for chanting, uh, you know, the bleep KU chant. Yeah, yeah, that could go up there. What about the DB who uh, intercepted the ball around the goal line? Because normally DBs yeah. do not turn their backs around, and that was a villainous move to do that. That was yeah. unfair. Yeah, you're not allowed tough. to do. I didn't know you were allowed to do yeah, that. You're supposed to just stare at the receiver and then yes. let the ball hit you in the back of the head. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you get called for PI. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good one. Yeah. I feel like this kind of has to be the refs, though, because that's something everybody can probably get on board with. Yeah, I like I said, just to be different from you, I'll go with uh, the point after attempts because every time you attempted one, it was bad. I guess what? They had one in the second half that was good, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, they scored Seth Keller and Owen, Owen P each hit a PAT. Oh, okay. They made two? Yeah. Wow, I don't remember that. <laughs> dude, I think dude, what else? When you have multiple disastrous point after attempts, your mind just goes back and is like, all of them were disastrous. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't make any. You know, you know what I mean? You just go back and it's like, they were all bad. Okay, could I could I argue fourth downs is not just a villain for this game, but this whole season? Possibly. Okay, you went 0 for 2 on fourth downs against Oklahoma State. Yeah. You missed the, the fourth and four, fourth and five, whatever it was. Then you missed the fourth and one. Yeah. They are now one of eight on fourth downs this season. That's really bad. They are last in the Big like, 12. You have to try to be that bad, I feel like. Yeah, that's crazy. With an offense as good as Kansas is, and, and with I mean, a running offense that's as good as Kansas is. Yes, and it's not like all the fourth downs are fourth and 10, fourth and 12, you know? They've been, they're they're, they're closer than that. Right. So to be yeah, one of eight last in the Big 12, that's, that's kind of villainous. No, that's very disappointing. And on the flip side, opponent Oklahoma State didn't attempt the fourth down. What concerns in this game, me but. even more about that is I wonder if like the coaching staff will look at that and be like, now we need to be more conservative because we can't mm. get fourth downs. Which that would just that Is would that just a reason though to do that? Because I I do actually think that is a valid uh complaint about some of the analytics stuff about like this says you should go for it, but it doesn't necessarily take into account it's viewing all the data that's happened in the past the same as if Peyton Manning and having uh, no, I know. Yeah, it Thompson Robinson is the same when yeah, it's not. Yeah, that is a big issue with it. Though. So, should you actually view this and be like, maybe this is reason to do it, or do you view this as no? Because I think it's this is an outlier to, number. I think it's an outlier number. I think okay. it's reason to go for it or to continue being aggressive because that they're going to go your way. Surely not. You do gonna, have a good offense. Yeah, you're surely not going to go one twenty-five or less than what twelve percent. Twelve percent. Yeah, you're not going to go twelve percent on fourth down. You know, in your next eight tries, I would think. I mean, just logically. Surely not. Right? I tend to agree with you. Yes. But would that make you upset if Lance Leipold looks at that and is now and wants to be more conservative on fourth downs? I think so. Because, again, if, if, you, if you told me that this was the Iowa offense, I would be like, okay, that number makes sense. Iowa's offense is bad at everything, so why would well, they be bad at fourth again, down if two? you had told me that they were one for eight on fourth and 15s, sure. I understand that completely. But with Kansas, it's like, oh, you are a good offense. So theoretically, you should be good on fourth down too, because guess what? Yeah, it's usually the good offenses are also good on fourth down. The good offenses yeah. are also good on third down. Chiefs are like number one in third down conversion rate, and they like always are with Patrick Mahomes, right? Yeah. It yeah. typically adds up that way. So, um, yeah, I think that does revert a little bit, but to this point, it has been kind of a villain. Yeah, All right, that's tough. That's tough. That's our heroes and villains. He's Nick Springer. Two hours down. I'm Derek Johnson. Villain. Derek's bad jokes. Wow. Brett, your mark. Audio next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. So we just heard the Brett Yormark audio. Uh, we'll get to the Q&A part of the audio on tomorrow's show at some point. Uh, but I want to go over some of the stuff that he said and uh, kind of get in the nitty-gritty on some of this stuff. The first part that uh, I think stood out to me Love was the, the uh, Yormark comment about working on extending the tournament in Kansas City. Now, two ways of looking at this. 
One is that I think that was also the comment during Big 12 Football Media Day, and it yeah. hasn't happened yet. Well, but he specifically said here that it, they want it, to ha- want it to happen by the end of this, by okay. the spring. Good. He did specifically say that. But yeah, I think overall that's a good thing. And and it was funny. You see some of the uh, the the schools. Dude, the, the Utah newcomers. fans yeah. can literally bleep off. <laughs> I mean, what? you're not even in the conference yet. Yeah, nobody there's, cares. There's like these Utah fans who are like, oh, that's so stupid. Kansas City's so lame, and like, yeah. we should put it in Vegas. Well, well, what the one that really, the one that really made me mad was some clown who was like, well, I haven't been to Kansas City yet, but I'm sure it sucks compared to Las <laughs> Vegas. It's like, bro, what? Okay, a couple things there. One, in theory, yes, Las Vegas is a more fun destination than Kansas City. But it just for a college basketball tournament, a majority of the people who are there are not going to care about it when it's going on in Vegas. When it's in Kansas City, the people who are there, yes. they care about it, and they make yes. it a big deal. And that makes well, the event again, itself cooler. What are the fan bases that are most loyal that are going to show up? KU, Iowa State, this, the fan bases that are closest to Kansas City. So if you're trying to drive revenue and you try and you want to sell tickets, yeah, put it closest well, to the, the fan bases I, that I don't, will show up. I don't ever remember watching like a Pac-12 tournament game when it was in Vegas and being like, "Wow, Utah really showed out yes. for this thing." You know what I mean? Whereas um, Iowa State, when they're at the tournament, they have like ten thousand yes. fans there. It's like their spring break yeah. going to driving down to to Kansas City for the event. And the other part of it too that's funny is Las Vegas is literally west of. Every school in the new Big 12, even when they add Arizona and Utah, it'll be west of every school in the Big 12. Kansas City is literally the middle point, the destination between your UCFs and West Virginias yeah. and your BYUs and Utahs and, Utahs yeah. and Arizona, right? Yeah. It, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. The only, again, I think I said this, but the only uh, the only other location that I think would make sense for the Big 12 tournament would be like a Dallas or something. Yeah. But again, then you get back to the point of when it's in Kansas City— it is the destination. Right. It is when it was in Oklahoma why. City, when it was in Dallas, it did not get nearly the turnout that yes. it does in Kansas City. Yes. yes. Trust me, you don't want to go down that path. Yes. And Kansas City has has a history of basketball, has a history of people enjoying yeah. basketball. Well, imagine, too, this is, this is how I'm starting to feel with the Utah fans. It feels like they're being very demanding and needing. It feels like if you – imagine if you, like, invited a friend over and your friend came to your house or apartment or whatever – and they walked in. They're like, "Hey, you should you should move that painting to that wall. Yeah. Hey, you should move that couch over or, there. Hey, you don't have that TV channel. Wow. Yeah, you should buy that right now. It's like you're a guest at the house right now. Yeah, you the don't other, to make demand. The other thing about this is this obviously puts to rest all the talk about Brett Yormark trying to move it to New York. And this is what I this is another thing that I really enjoy about Brett Yormark is I think he's on the forefront of doing a lot of things that some are good, some are like." Okay, fine, sure, whatever. But the other thing that I like that I like about him that he has shown, I think, through this specifically, is that if he has an idea, but then he realizes, wait a minute, what's working now is actually the better option. He's not going to force an idea mm-hmm. like too much. Like he he will force some stuff, but this was something where I think he could have maybe really forced it and really put pressure to, to move to New York City. But I think he realized probably because he talked about how he came to the tournament last year. I think he probably realized. Sure. The atmosphere is cool. People really care about it, that it's in Kansas City. And that made him realize, hey, this is actually maybe the right place to be. Yes and no. Maybe yes. I also do think there. it's possible that Brett Yormark got a bunch of pushback from the ADs oh, 100%. and the school people, right? 100%. Could be that. So anyway, But um, I, think if he wanted to, I think if he wanted to, he could have forced it more. And maybe he did yeah, behind maybe. closed doors, but... 
Uh, he also said looking like a 20-game conference schedule for men, 18 for women. There was later in the Q&A a question about why this, and basically it just came down to like the, the this is the direct quote he gave. It's what the coaches were looking to do. So this was pretty much they asked the coaches what they wanted to do. More of the women's coaches said they wanted 18. More of the men's coaches said they wanted 20. I don't I'm know all, the reason why. I'm all why. for 20. I think 20 I mean, makes more sense when you have a I don't league need this to, I don't need to watch, you know, the Big 12 teams play somebody from mm-hmm. the Summit League. Right. Or whatever. Well, because like, it, just play more. I mean, why not play more? If you're games? building a, such a good conference that you're going to have a bunch of marquee matchups, why don't you steer into that more? And the yes. Big Ten has 20 conference games now, um, so I, I, I do like that. Obviously, there's going to be with 16 teams in the league. There's no perfect way to build a conference schedule at this point because yeah. you can't do a home and home. There'd be yeah. 30 conference games. What if they did that? What if they're like, you get two non-con games and the rest are conference? <laughs> that would be wild. I honestly would not be. Like that, I wouldn't be that against opposed. it either. I think it would be more of a altruistic way of determining the champion. One hundred percent. Yeah. You know? No. That I mean, again, that's the biggest drawback of expansion is you you kind of you lose the ability to play right. everybody. So, I am for this, so it's fine and uh, it's totally cool. It it still yeah. won't fix all. Well, of it's the one of those things issues, where it's like it's, it's good if if the coaches say that's what they want, have yeah. a good time. I don't, you know. Yeah, if it means we're getting, you know, it's not a huge deal. It's like, okay, with the extra conference games you're going to have, like, okay, maybe that's extra games against Arizona or Houston, and now you take away the games like how you're going at Indiana this year, right? It'll balance out. You'll, sure. you'll be fine with the schedule. Sure. He also said, as as it pertains to the scheduling, they're prioritizing rivalries, geography, matchups, and uh, some of the competition stuff. So, like, they don't just want to have it where, you know, one team plays the projected second, third, and fourth team and then another team only plays the second best team or something. Oh, you mean like, right? you mean like Oklahoma State this year? In football? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that'll be prioritized in both the Olympic sports and in football, in addition to some of the basketball I stuff. I mean, this is just common sense. Right. Right. Like, yes, you should do you should prioritize those things. Yeah, the the way I view it with basketball, you play everybody once. Okay, there's your there's your fifteen games. And then you have three teams that your closest ties to, whether it's a geography thing or a rivalry thing, which typically those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. And you play those teams twice. That would get you to eighteen for the woman. So like for for KU women's team, it would be probably play everyone K-State, once. Iowa State and I don't know, maybe one maybe of the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Schools. Yeah. One of the Oklahoma schools. Yeah, Oklahoma State might make sense. Well, it'd be the only Oklahoma school. Um Oh, I guess that's fair. Wow. Yeah, I guess it could yeah. be Oklahoma State. It could be like in Arizona, who knows? And then I don't know how they would determine the other two games in the men's. Maybe they would just be like just making it like a rotation marquee thing. matchup. Yeah, that could be it. We're going to make sure whoever the projected top two teams are, they're going to play twice. I don't know. Whatever it is. Or maybe those other two games are like the games they want to do in Mexico. I, I don't know. Um, he did mention about the football scheduling, how there was going to be more coming out in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what that means. Uh, I guess just more on how they're going to. Maybe. Maybe they're going to actually release are. the entire. No, usually that comes in the I know. So it? it's like. Are they just going to put out something that's going to be more detail about the structure? Oh, yeah, I guess. I, don't I know. guess so. I, that kind of piqued my interest. All right. He also uh, made the comment as it went to realignment. He said a, he he wasn't going to answer any questions on it, but if an opportunity arises to strengthen this conference, I'm going to explore it. <coughs> How do you do that? Yeah. Right. <coughs> oh, sorry. I had something in my throat. There. Well, and he immediately went from that to being like the strength uh, of basketball is you know, and he went on there. Yeah. Kind of reads to be Gonzaga to me. Yeah. I mean, I I mean. At this point, I don't know. There's to me, there's no other schools if you're the Big Twelve that you even need to consider adding, except for Gonzaga. I mean, all okay, the Pac-12 wait. schools have already been 
been snatched up. I just realized. What? What if the real reason, what if he didn't give us the real reason of why the men's schedule could be 20 and the women's is 18? What if the real reason is we would just add Gonzaga in men's basketball? Yeah. And then we'd add one other team in just men's basketball, like a UConn. Although at that point, Gonzaga's had a good women's program, and so has UConn, so why would you not want both, I guess? So maybe yeah. that doesn't make sense. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga, again, all the all the, all the dead Pac-12 schools have been sucked up. There's no reason to add any Mountain West schools. It's Gonzaga or a bust. Mm-hmm. It's Gonzaga or nothing. Which, like, is anybody going to be upset if the Big 12 doesn't add Gonzaga? I, I wouldn't be. I don't care. I wouldn't. So you're saying if they don't add them, would you be upset? Yeah. No, I, exactly. I wouldn't be upset. Like either. if 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 you just if the big twelve is kind of where I'm at with them adding them though too. Like what do you mean? Like honestly, whether they add them or don't, it's not really going to change my feelings. Yeah, much. I agree. I'm pretty indifferent. Right. Like, I'm pretty indifferent about. Like if they add them, it'd be like okay, cool, another good exactly. school. If they don't, it's like ah, they're fine. Yes, I 100 percent agree with that. Right. Yeah. So I think maybe and maybe that's his approach mm-hmm. here is like unless it's a real serious opportunity. Maybe it's not something that you need to push for too aggressively. Now, he talked more about the international growth in basketball, and he talked more about Mexico being a logical place because it's by the footprint of Texas and, and some of where the Big 12 is. And I think there's some strongholds with, like, Houston, BYU yeah, actually I, has. Yeah, he yeah. claimed that there's, like, that some of the Big 12 schools have, like, like satellite you know, campuses yeah, or something. Yeah, I don't really know if that's true I think or not. BYU actually I don't does. know anything about Mexico. I could be wrong with that. So, all I know is, is that it's not nearly as close to... Uh, some of the Texas schools that you think, based on geography. Are we going to get no, a, we, like, we looked it up. University like, of Mexico? No. Mexico City in no. the Big 12? No. Imagine that. I would not like that at all. Opportunity arises to strengthen the conference. I'm going to explore it. How does Mexico that strengthen City the, University. How, is, how does that strengthen the conference? It has a whole other country. They would be the only conference in America that has multiple countries. <laughs> I mean, that, that would make it that number one in one that stat. That does not automatically make it good. <laughs> I'd rather add a Canadian team. Uh, what's the good Canadian team that, like, always beats the D1 teams when they scrape? Yeah, isn't, like, like isn't it, like, British Columbia or whatever? mean or something? Yeah, go add them. Go add them before you add Mexico, Mexico State City. What Mexico if you did? City I don't even know if that's allowed. It's the NCAA, which implies nation is the country, right? The National Collegiate Athletic Association. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of implies... Uh, just make it the INCAA. I guess it'd just be the ICAA. I guess. Yeah, it's the, the Carleton University Ravens. People are comparing them to... They're doing to Canadian basketball what UCLA basketball did... Oh, really? Back in the days. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, go ahead them. Wait, where are they at, first of all? Where are they at? Well, they're in Canada. Well, no, but where in Canada? Does it matter? Yes. Because they're like in Toronto, then it doesn't make any sense to add them. Carleton College? But if they're in somewhere more centralized. I don't know. There's a Carleton in uh, Minnesota, too. So I I, I don't know where this one is in in Canada. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they're just like, they've like just beaten a bunch of teams. Um, Like they beat, they beat Mike Dom. It's South Dakota State. They held him to like three of ten shooting. They beat. Uh, oh, see, it's an, the the Carleton University. It's in Ottawa. Yeah, a while ago they beat uh, like Alabama, Providence, Vanderbilt. Like they they beat Wisconsin the year that Wisconsin made the Final Four. Oh, really? Like they're they're just a powerhouse, man. Wow. So yeah, add them, add them. There's your international stuff. Um. Anyway, uh, 
he also added that if splitting football and basketball oh, wait, media adds revenue, they will do it in the future. That's kind of like a no-duh moment. He's not going to do it just to be like, oh, let's just do it for fun. He's only going to do it if it adds more money. We, we can't add Carlton University. Do you think They're it, like across the border from New York. That's so far okay. away. I don't think they could have added them anyway. <laughs> Although, you said, wait, wait. You said across the border from New York, right? Your mark, New York. No, stop, stop. That's stop. his way to get into the New York no. media. Nick, this is going to happen no. now. Whether you like Brett it or Yormark not. Brett Yormark is listening to the show, and he's like, Brett Yormark this is, is like, a genius idea. We can take Carlton, then we're going to pick off Syracuse once the ACC implodes, and then we're going to move everything to New York. No. I would I would jump <laughs> off the Orient. Okay. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that was kind of a no-dumb moment. But it will be interesting to see if that ends up being a thing where, like, selling them kind of a la carte actually raises the media prices, and then if that could uh, kind of open things up for other conferences to do the same. Uh, it was also very interesting hearing the some media, the media back. stuff. That was something that we heard a lot from our cohorts, from other media people, uh, about the the lack of. Yeah, so remember, because basically Brett yeah. Normark commandeered all those seats and was like trying to sell them to people, people, rich people at high price, and, and I believe yes, like nobody bought them. Yeah, very poor because people. So that, didn't the really combination care that much. of that and it's also not the NBA, you don't media need, like, people, right? You're not getting Jay-Z coming out to the Big 12 tournament. They don't They don't need those. Shaq's going to be there again. Now, again, I never really cared to begin with because it didn't impact me either way. I was upstairs anyway. And, yeah. You know. I mean, we're just a little small. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Um, we're just two idiots on the radio. I, I see both sides of it. I, I see the people who are like, just be happy you're there for free and you get free food and everything like that. Like, does it really matter if you... I will say a lot of people were just watching it back in the... Uh, like in the media rooms? The doldrums, the media rooms, because it was easier to see it on TV than seen up there, yeah. which at that point, it's like, well, that's not great. I've done some broadcasts so up there, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's a different different experience. So uh, what do you think about the alternative young broadcasts? <clears throat> do you think that's just going to be like what they're doing with Nickelodeon with like the Toy Story and the slime broadcast? Or I think do you think what? it's going to be like a, he said to appeal to a younger audience? What if they do like the game on like TikTok? And they just have the game mashed up into like I would hate that. Whatever well, first it is. Of all, I'm not 30 on, second I'm not on clips. Because did you see I am not either. Well, no, no, he said alternative broadcast. So I think like like the NFL, when they had the game on like the Toy Story broadcast, it yeah. wasn't the only broadcast. Sure. You could have watched the regular one or the Toy Story one. Okay. So this would be a you have a second way of watching it to just introduce a younger fan. I think they put the movie Mean Girls on TikTok in like 15 second increments or something what? like that. Yeah. And it was legal because they put it at whatever the minimum of clips you could show were. That's insane. And just that many. What if they did that with the game? No, absolutely not. Well, it's not for you. Brett, I am vetoing. It's for somebody else. Uh, no, get Brett on the phone. Okay. I'm vetoing that idea. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting. We should we should see if Brett will do an interview with us. I doubt it. Why not? Dude, we could yeah, give him he's got so bigger many, fish to fry. We could give him so many great ideas. That would actually be really funny if we did a if we did an interview crazy with ideas with Brett Yormark. Yes, and we just we just throw ideas at him. Yes, it's not even an interview. Not asking questions. Yeah, exactly. We just throw ideas. Exactly. Let it, and he can tell us if they're good or bad. <laughs> yes, like adding Carlton <laughs> University. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. Twitter, 
rcst1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live three to six p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast